I object to those hideous January 6 hearings. Unfortunately, if only a congressman could have done that, a real congressman, a real Republican. But no, we didn't have any. These hearings, now that they're over for now, I will say again, they're dangerous. They're anti-democratic. They were dishonest, full of lies, absurdities. However, I cut through all of that and I can prove that these hearings actually exonerate Donald Trump from any wrongdoing and certainly from any insurrection. This was nonsense beginning to end. I actually feel so fortunate that I can be essentially alone out there in the mainstream media or the conservative media, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I see things that others don't, but 75 million people can. All right. Now, they started last night with uh, the usual. Over the last month and a half, the select committee has told the story of a president who did everything in his power to overturn an election. He lied, he bullied, he betrayed his oath. He commanded the mob to go to the Capitol, and he emphatically commanded the heavily armed mob to fight like hell. For 187 minutes on January 6th, this man of unbridled destructive energy could not be All right, moved, all right, all right. Did you hear that? Do you hear the hyperbole? Unbridled destructive energy. Wow. So, look, this is just hyperbole, though, partisan hyperbole, also very hypocritical. This guy was pushing the Russian hoax. He did not even attend Donald Trump's inauguration. I could actually accept, though, this kind of rhetoric from one side, but it's coming from both sides. The vice chair of this committee is noted rhino Liz Cheney. Only one thing was succeeding on the afternoon of January 6th. Only one thing was achieving President Trump's goal. The angry, armed mob President Trump sent to the Capitol broke through security, invaded the Capitol, and forced the vote counting to stop. All right. You see what I mean? This is the opposition party? This? This is democracy? 75 million people at least don't agree with her nonsense. Yet this is who they put on. This is anti-democratic, folks. It really is. This is a threat to democracy. You know, in a democracy, even the bad guys get attorneys, get representation. John Gotti, the Teflon Don, he lawyered up. Remember him? Uh, how about Jeffrey Dahmer? Talk about worse people than Donald Trump, right? The Jeffrey Dahmer, you know what he did. He had attorneys representing his interests. Bernie Madoff, perhaps the worst financial scammer of all time. He had attorneys. You know what we need on that panel? And they prohibited it, everybody. Matt Gates and Jim Jordan. These guys don't fool around. They are absolutely awesome, fantastic men, and they could have made all the difference. They vetoed their presence. That is not democratic. Oh, boy, would these guys have been good. I mean, let me go to one other thing they built their case around. They built their case around a lot of hearsay, didn't they? And the best example of the hearsay, surprisingly enough, is Ambassador Sondland. It's amazing. They built their case around this ambassador, and they built their case around hearsay, and the best example of both is Mr. Sondland. That is just a Democrat drive-by to go and list crimes that you don't allege and that you don't have evidence for. Impeachment number one. These guys, absolute superstars. 
They could not have them on the panel. Oh, no. It would totally bust up their narrative. It might even disintegrate. So instead, they violated basic American principles. You know, committees don't function like this. Um, committees, even committees that are, well, you name it, small committees, historic committees, Iran-Contra, 1987. You know what they did? They had some very smart Democrats and they had some very smart Republicans on that panel. As much as a certain small segment of our society or our country seems to want to keep this controversy alive, I have a strong belief that the American people feel a little bit differently about it. In my frequent travels back home to Utah, for example, I get the real feeling that the vast majority of Americans out there are sick and tired of the whole affair. And they're sick and tired about hearing about it. Sick and tired about hearing about it. True in 1987 of the Iran-Contra affair and true today of the January 6th nonsense. Thank you very much. The late, great Senator Orrin Hatch of Utah. This has been true forever in American history. Competitive hearings, adversarial hearings. Ever hear of a guy named McCarthy? As early as 
creep, quite frankly, who uh, runs around the country, showing up at riots, documenting them for who knows what purposes. He has been caught on camera saying some horrific, illegal things about President Trump. You're not allowed to violently call for the death of, of anyone, especially a president of the United States. How was it that this individual was right there rolling his camera when Ashley Babbitt was shot and killed? How is it that that guy, among everybody, he was at that position? Michael Byrd shoots Ashley Babbitt, and that guy is right in the middle. That's pretty crazy. Is that a coincidence? Can we talk about it? Not at this hearing. Not at this committee. They don't want to know the answers to some basic questions like that. And I've asked it before, and I'll ask it again right now. Who was that little cop? Who was that little cop waving everybody in? We deserve to know. We actually demand to know. Why were the cops standing on either side of the hall as everybody was let in? Have you seen this? <laughs> Let's show it. There they are. Welcome to the Capitol. It's some sort of welcome committee. And then, again, the three officers who just walked away, walked away before Ashley Babbitt. What a time to take a coffee break, fellas. So you're not going to tackle those questions. Answers, are you afraid of them? Instead, you're going to push your own lie about the big lie. I was struck by the fact that he chose to begin the video by pushing the lie that there was a stolen election. It was unpatriotic. It was un-American. We were watching the Capitol building get defaced over a lie. As you can see, President Trump stuck with his big lie that the election was stolen. Well, folks, we have genuine concerns about the fairness of the 2020 election. You're allowed to question things like that. Democrats do it all the time. I have doubts about the fairness, don't you? Bill Barr, before, I don't know, he got scared, he got woke, he, uh, who knows what. But he himself was sounding the alarm about the shenanigans, the fraud that could happen in 2020. So far, we haven't seen widespread fraud. But so far, we haven't tried it. Well, and the point is that a lot of us... Uh, there are several states that only have mail-in voting, including a Republican well, state. Well, this like is playing Utah. with fire. This is playing with fire. We're a very closely divided country here. And if people have to have confidence in the results of the election and the legitimacy of the government, and people trying to change the rules to this, to this methodology, which, as a matter of logic, is very open to fraud and coercion, is reckless and dangerous. And the people are playing with fire. I'll never forget as a matter of logic, our concerns, our fears are logical. Thank you, Bill Barr, at least the Bill Barr of 2020 and before. When we come back, I will show you how the January 6 hearings actually exonerate Donald Trump from any wrongdoing. I'll be right back. You want to hear a big lie about 2020 or January 6th? This. Those that we watched cause violence at the Capitol. Instead, he told the people who we had just watched storm our nation's Capitol with the intent on overthrowing our democracy, violently attack police officers, and chant heinous things like hang Mike Pence. He sent tweets that inflamed and expressed support for the desire of some to literally kill 
Vice President Mike Pence. Literally kill Mike Pence. Literally kill. And Mike Pence was in danger. Mike Pence was within moments of losing his life. This is one of the biggest lies I've ever heard. Mike Pence was completely safe. I mean, he's protected by the Secret Service. These guys are good. Very, very good. Mike Pence was escorted out. He was also safe and secure in the basement. Does he look like he's panicky? Does he look like his, his life is in imminent danger? You know, I keep hearing about what the Secret Service was going through, and I have a feeling, everybody, they're lying about the Secret Service. Now, they found an anonymous guy at the White House. They covered him up, and he said that the Secret Service were like the Uvalde cops, and they were about to give up. The members of the VPT tell at this time were starting to fear for their own lives. Um, there were a lot of, there was a lot of yelling, um, a lot of, um, uh, a lot of very personal calls um, over the radio. So uh, it was disturbing. I don't I'm like talking about it. Personal calls, like they were sending messages to be sent to their families. I may not see you tonight. I don't believe that. Why can't we cross-examine this person? Why can't we even know who he is? No, we can't, because he's lying. The Secret Service were intimidated by these guys? Excuse me? No, the Secret Service could take these guys, absolutely. You know, the Secret Service, they, uh, they keep their weapons close, but when they need them, you see them. Do you remember this? Notice anything? How about that machine gun? <laughs> okay. These guys have heavy weapons and they'll take them out and use them when they have to. Do you think they were afraid of the horns guy and his friends? I actually don't think so. No, I don't believe that. Now, here's something about January 6th I'd hear all the time. Mike Pence did his duty. Mike Pence did his duty. I'm not going to say that's a lie, but I am going to say it's a matter of opinion. You will hear today that President Trump's White House counsel believed that the vice president did exactly the right thing on January 6th. When the pressure campaign failed and Mike Pence fulfilled his constitutional obligation, Donald Trump turned a violent mob loose on him. He instigated the attackers to target the vice president with violence. A man who just wanted to do his constitutional duty. Now, they're specifically lying about President Trump unleashing attackers. But regarding his constitutional duties, well, there is some question about that. Under the Electoral Count Act of 1887, there is room for interpretation about what the vice president can or cannot do. Usually we have the Supreme Court uh, figure out matters like this. It's not unusual. It's actually fairly typical for folks to object to elections. Jamie Raskin, one of the worst of the worst, did it in 2017. Uh, I have an objection because 10 of the 29 electoral votes cast by Florida were cast by electors not lawfully certified. 
The electors were not lawfully certified in Florida, according to Jamie Raskin, and he objected and he probably wanted. Well, in fact, I know he wanted the vice president to do something about that. And at the time, it was Joe Biden, of all people, of course. Uh, but he did not have a senator to join him. And under the Electoral Count Act of 1887, you need one. Now, if the Electoral Count Act of 1887 said that the vice president couldn't do anything other than just, you know, rubber stamp it, why would they be trying to change it now as they are? We need to make very clear that the vice president's role is just ministerial, that he has no power or she has no power to overturn the votes that are submitted by the states. Uh, all right. And to do that, she has submitted a proposal to change the law. This is a proposal. The constitutional role of the vice president is solely ministerial. The VP does not have any power to accept, reject, or otherwise adjudicate disputes over electors. That is her proposal, but the Electoral Count Act of 1887 does not say that now. So under the law, according to our opinion, and many agree with us, he had the authority to perhaps send these electoral votes back to the state capitol so they could be legally certified. Didn't Jamie Raskin have some questions about legal certification of the electors back in 1887? Yes, he did. And also, another reason why I'm not a big Mike Pence fan, and I don't think he's any hero in this, is he kind of he screwed with us. Screwed with us. He faked us out. Listen. You know, I know we all, we all got our doubts about the last election. And I want to assure you, I share the concerns of millions of Americans about voting irregularities. And I promise you, come this Wednesday... We'll have our day in Congress. We'll hear the objections. We'll hear the evidence. A little blurry there, but uh, did you hear that? And then the crowd went wild. Now, if he knew he was just going to rubber stamp the election, the electors, well, he could have warned people. He could have prepared everybody. But he wanted to keep, what, his political options open? Maybe he just wanted to play footsie with the magic. Who knows what he was thinking but he could have prepared people for what he was really going to do, and he knew what he was going to do at that point. So, yes, people can be frustrated with Mike Pence, and it's no crime that Donald Trump was. The president said Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done to protect our country and our Constitution. Despite knowing the Capitol had been breached and the mob was in the building, President Trump called Mike Pence a coward and placed all the blame on him for not stopping the certification. He put a target on his own vice president's back. All right. Uh, a little lie there. He did not call Vice President Pence a coward. Can I see that tweet, please? Do you see the word coward? Uh, no courage should have been. No, no, it does not say coward. Coward is, yes, a pretty tough word. And he didn't use it, but that woman just said he did. Vice president and presidents, they have disputes all the time. In fact, FDR was so mad at his vice president and his vice president was so mad at him that Mr. Garner ran against FDR for the presidency. Garner lost, but these things happen. These things happen in a democracy. All right. We're getting to it when we come back. 
I will show you how President Trump is innocent of everything. Where were we? January 6th. And President Trump is innocent of all the horrible things, certainly of inspiring an insurrection. It's nonsense. And I will show you. So uh, I'll get to the speech in a moment. But first, do you remember what happened after the speech? They said he wrestled with the uh, Secret Service driver. Remember all that nonsense? Well, the Secret Service actually came out and said that didn't happen. And we will testify as such. January 6th committee does not want to hear from the Secret Service. Instead, they found this guy, some local retired cop. The second witness is retired Sergeant Mark Robinson of the D.C. Police Department, who was assigned to the president's motorcade that day. He sat in the lead vehicle with a Secret Service agent responsible for the motorcade, also called the T.S. agent. Here's how Sergeant Robinson remembered the exchange. Was there any description of what of what was occurring in the car? No, only that on the only description I received was that the president was upset and that was adamant about going to the Capitol. And there was a, a heated discussion about that. OK, this guy heard something as he was sitting in the front car, the lead car of a 100-vehicle motorcade. He heard something from the guy he was sitting next to. Have you ever seen a presidential motorcade? He was in the front car of this motorcade, and he heard something from the guy he was sitting next to. You know, this really is absurd. You know, I'll say this about the investigation into Bill Clinton. Do you remember that, how they were all over Bill Clinton? They once wanted to talk to uh, a Secret Service agent about what he may have heard Bill Clinton say. They had the decency to actually find a guy, him, Larry Cockell, I think his name was, who was actually in the car. They subpoenaed him. They talked to him because he was in the car with Bill Clinton and he may have heard some stuff. Why aren't they doing that this time? January 6th committee, huh? Because, you know, you don't have the goods on him. Also, this. At 125, President Trump went to the private dining room off the Oval Office. From 125 until 4 o'clock, the president stayed in his dining room. Just to give you a sense of where the dining room is situated in the West Wing, let's take a look at this floor plan. The dining room is connected to the Oval Office by a short hallway. Witnesses told us that on January 6th, President Trump sat in his usual spot, at the head of the table, facing a television hanging on the wall. Where, that's where he stayed, they say, watching television for the next several hours. Okay, remember, they got all over his case for wanting to go to Capitol Hill. Now they're all over his case for being in the White House and watching TV as he's eating and making phone calls. This is fascinating, though. So he's got the TV on. They say they know it's on Fox News. They showed us three clips from Fox News. President Trump is watching. What does he see? This is as bad as it gets on January 6th on Fox News. 
The president, as we all saw, fired this crowd up. They've all tens of thousands, maybe 100,000 or more, have gone down to the Capitol or elsewhere in the city, and they're very upset. Now, I jumped down as soon as we heard the news that Brett gave you about Mike Pence. I started talking to these people. I said, what do you think? One woman, an Air Force veteran from Missouri, said she was, quote, disgusted to hear that news and that it was his duty to do something. And I told her, I said, there's nothing in the Constitution unilaterally that Vice President Pence could do. She said, that doesn't matter. He should have fought for Trump. Oh, my goodness gracious. So Griff Jenkins, nice guy. He's the reporter. He's the one, not the Supreme Court, not the Senate, not the House. He's the one who's going to tell us, everybody, that the vice president had no options. It doesn't work that way. All right. So the president presumably saw this clip. What else did he see? Vice President Pence was going to certify the electoral votes and or not certify them. But I guess that's just changed. Correct. And uh, it's a very big disappointment. I think there's several hundred thousand people here that are very disappointed. All right. So this was on Fox News and he watched it. These are the clips that the January 6th committee showed us. Here's the next one. Dr. Brett Baer with more information now. Brett, what do you have? Our Pentagon team, Jen Griffin, Lucas Tomlinson, uh, confirming the Defense Department has now uh, mobilized the entire D.C. National Guard, 1,800 troops. Takes several hours, as I was mentioning before, uh, to get them up and running. The Army Secretary, Ryan McCarthy, is setting up a headquarters at the FBI. You just heard from David Spunt that the FBI is also sending uh, troops to the Capitol. So these are the clips that were entered into evidence today, uh, last night, by the January 6th committee. Did they show... An incredibly alarming situation. Well, I've seen protests before, but I'm not seeing anything on the inside because they didn't have it. They did not have it that day. In fact, media critics, even liberals, have pointed out that on television, January 6th, on January 6th, did not look that bad. I think it's really important to remember. It didn't look as bad on TV as it actually was. And that's not the fault of any television network or any producer or anything. It's just... Most of the live shots were from far away. We didn't see inside the Capitol the horrible violence, the attacks against police. There were only a few of those videos that came out during the day. It took several days to reckon with just how violent this was, and then several weeks to learn about the security failures and all the rest. Wow. Did not look that bad. This is a liberal, hates Fox News, hates me, he hates Trump, but he said himself it did not look that bad on January 6th. A lot of people are putting things together. So President Trump is watching TV like we all are. And what is he supposed to do? They're irate because, well, listen to this. On January 6th, when lives and our democracy hung in the balance, President Trump refused to act. We have confirmed in numerous interviews with senior law enforcement and military leaders, Vice President Pence's staff and D.C. government officials, none of them, not one, heard from President Trump that day. He did not call to issue orders. He did not call to offer assistance. All right. He didn't call them. Well, he's watching TV. We see what's on TV. Should he be making those calls? Should he pick up the phone and call everybody because of these crowds? And by the way, all of those entities she just mentioned, they did not call him. They did not call the White House. Now, some people were calling the White House. Don Jr. and Sean Hannity 
We're not the only ones who implored Mr. Meadows to get the president to speak to the nation and tell the mob to leave, to go home, go home. Throughout the attack, Mr. Meadows received texts from Republican members of Congress, from current and former Trump administration officials, from media personalities, and from friends. All right. Friends, Congress, um, uh, some media personalities. Let's take a look at some of the people who called President Trump. I know some of these guys, Kilmeade, Hannity, uh, let's see there. That's Laura Ingram and, of course, Donald Trump Jr. All right, so they made some calls. But who didn't make calls? The people who didn't make calls, if it were really as bad as they say, and they were panicking and they wanted help, why weren't they picking up the phone? Let's go through them. Where was General Milley? Did General Milley call? No. Did Speaker Pelosi make a phone call to the president? No. Did the mayor of D.C., uh, Ms. Bowser, make a phone call or to anybody in the White House? No, as far as we know. How about Mitch McConnell? At this point, he was done with Trump, right? How about Senator Schumer? These guys, Trump and Schumer, go back to the 1970s in Brooklyn. No call. What about, I don't know, the sergeant at arms or this individual, an army general? You know, the military is supposed to take initiative sometimes. This is Chris Miller, the secretary of defense. Did he call the president? Uh, they didn't say so. It doesn't look that way. This is the Capitol Hill police chief. Did he put in a call to the White House? And Mike Pence, vice president. You know, I keep hearing that President Trump did not call Mike Pence. Well, did Mike Pence call President Trump and ask him for anything? No, no. I, as far as I can tell here, there's no record of that. Now, there were some calls. Were they asking for the military from President Trump? Were they asking for anything he could do? No. They were making political suggestions to Donald Trump. Leader McCarthy, Republican of California. Well, he called the president. Did he ask for help? No, he made political suggestions. He said the president should go out before the cameras and say something. Well, would that have been helpful? I wonder, because on January 6th, were they walking around with uh, television sets? Uh, no, as a matter of fact, they really weren't even looking at their phones all that much. They were, well, protesting and they were there. And the president did ultimately send out <laughs> numerous tweets and made a statement calling for peace. They try to spin that. They try to say, oh, his first draft didn't say that. Oh, he didn't really want to, but he did. But he did. And he also did not call for violence. Now, they said this was ominous. I don't think so. Listen. Walk down and I'll be there with you. We're going to walk down. We're going to walk down anyone you want. But I think right here, we're going to walk down to the Capitol. So let's walk down Pennsylvania Avenue. Okay, walk down Pennsylvania Avenue. Now, I can handle that, but they never tell you and they never show you when President Trump said it out loud. How did he want them to walk? I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. Peacefully and patriotically. Why will we put that out there? But the January 6th committee on our taxpayer dollars will not will not allow this, will not say this, will not call attention to it. They are dishonest. And when we come back, their motivations, the very personal motivations at work here. Be right back. 
This country was made by tax rebels, freedom fighters, gold seekers, believers, lovers, and true patriots. We're Newsmax, and we're their heirs, and so are you. Newsmax TV, real news for real people. Now, what could be motivating some of this nonsense regarding January 6th? I think Liz has real personal issues, especially personal issues with Donald Trump, and maybe about gender and maybe with men. I mean, who says this? Cassidy Hutchinson. She sat here alone, took the oath, and testified before millions of Americans. She knew all along that she would be attacked by President Trump and by the 50, 60, and 70-year-old men who hide themselves behind executive privilege. But like our witnesses today, she has courage, and she did it anyway. Cassidy, Sarah, and our other witnesses, including Officer Caroline Edwards, Shay Moss, and her mother, Ruby Freeman, are an inspiration to American women and to American girls. We owe a debt to all of those who have and will appear here. Hey, yeah, yeah. So it's a woman thing, huh? It's a gender thing. Women and girls. Um, I wasn't impressed with any of them. The women, uh, the men. <laughs> Sorry. And I'm not impressed with Liz. She is the daughter, of course. Sometimes we forget of Dick Cheney. Uh, the two of them, right? Now, at one point, not terribly long ago, the Cheney name was, well, reviled in all of America. Just a couple of years ago, actually, there was a movie called Vice that depicted them as power-hungry, greedy uh, weirdos. Very sorry, but this is the movie they made. When you have power, people will always try to take it from you, always. more ruthless than you used to be. Wow, uh, what a movie. Did you hear that? Ruthless. He's ruthless. And what Lynn Cheney said, when you have power, they will always try to take it with you or from you. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Well, uh, the Cheneys did very well in government service. Dick Cheney himself is said to be worth over $100 million. Uh, daughter Liz, individually, she is worth something like 7 to $10 million. And, of course, when Dick goes, which, well, it's going to happen someday, she's going to get a lot of that money. Uh, so Dick Cheney, uh, as a former vice president, went to the inauguration of Donald Trump. Everybody was there. The swamp. Now, they weren't happy, of course. I think we have a picture of Dick at the 2017 inauguration. Uh, nobody was happy. They were kind of disgusted by Trump. And Trump let them have it. For too long, a small group in our nation's capital has reaped the rewards of government while the people have borne the cost. Washington flourished, but the people did not share in its wealth. Politicians prospered, but the jobs left and the factories closed. The establishment protected itself, but not the citizens of our country. Their victories 
have not been your victories. Their triumphs have not been your triumphs. And while they celebrated in our nation's capital, there was little to celebrate for struggling families all across our land. That all changes starting right here and right now, because this moment is your moment. It belongs to you. Trump embarrassed them. He shamed them and he threatened them to be a president of the people for the people. You're going to ruin the whole system for us. Since January 6th committee, like so much else that's happened over the past five, six years, this is revenge and this is a plot to stop democracy, to stop it. We'll be right back. So according to the January 6th committee, these two people, total strangers, uh, are somehow more important than the man who was elected by 75 million people, Donald Trump. They brought in all these bureaucrats, secretaries, uh, technicians, and listen to them. I cannot. This is probably the most absurd part of the whole thing. I'd like to bring in Craig Shirley, our favorite historian, and his latest book. You should all check it out. April 1945, The Hinge of History. Craig Shirley, welcome back. How are you tonight, sir? I know you're outside of D.C. How's the heat? The heat is uh, barely tolerable, Greg, but it's, uh, it's, it's cooled off by a quick dip in the pool or the river. <laughs> Good well, the Potomac. Oh boy, you don't want to go no, on that. No, 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 not the Potomac. Thank God, no, not the Potomac. The uh, Rappahannock. Ah, all right. Well, very good. I, I, I prefer the pool myself. Listen, Craig, <laughs> uh, if we can talk about the overall, we've been going through this. Sure. The lack of cross examination. Can you tell us, from a historical standpoint, to have everybody in agreement on that committee? Just how, to me, it's abhorrent, but. You're the expert. Uh, is there any precedence for this? No, no precedence whatsoever, Greg. It is so. It is a Soviet-style system. We've always had minority counsel. The McCarthy hearings, uh, every hearing that Congress has undertaken to inve- for investigation, there's always been minority representation, minority counsel. This is nothing more than a stacked deck, and it's actually going to backfire in the Democrats. Uh, for several reasons, as you've identified, one of mean one of them is that we're talking about an event of three years ago. We're talking about an event where where the where the where the bad guys shot and killed uh, a, a good person, and it, it just proves the Democrats are the party of the past, and the Republican Party de facto is the party of the future, which is going to spell spell their undoing uh, in November. It's going to be replaced by a committee to investigate Nancy Pelosi and her husband and all their insider trading deals. Well, she's in for for big trouble. And this committee, again, you mentioned how un-American it is. Uh, is, It's not supposed to be this way. And quite frankly, these people, their opinion to me does not matter, and it shouldn't matter to anybody. I'd like to see Miss Matthews is queried about her thoughts on a Donald Trump tweet. Uh, Go ahead and roll it, please. Ms. Matthews, what was your reaction to the president's tweet about Vice President Pence? So it was obvious that the situation at the Capitol was violent and escalating quickly. And so I thought that the tweet about the vice president was the last thing that was needed in that moment. 
All right, like everybody else, or half of America, she doesn't like President Trump's tweets. She's a yes, deputy so press secretary. What possibly could they think her opinion? How could it possibly matter to anybody, sir? It's, it's nothing. They're running out of steam. This committee is not, nobody's watching it. Nobody's paying attention to it. And they're just padding it up with nobodies to try to, to try with just the weight of evidence. They create the weight of evidence against Trump. But these are all nobodies who have nothing to say constructively. Well, finally, you know, I think they're trying to even take out future presidential candidates. I actually happen to like Josh Hawley a lot. He's a great intellect yeah. and uh, he's brave. Look at what they tried to do to him. But talk about backfiring. I don't think it works at all. Check it out. Senator Josh Hawley also had to flee. Earlier that afternoon, before the joint session started, he walked across the east front of the Capitol. As you can see in this photo, he raised his fist in solidarity with the protesters already amassing at the security gates. Later that day, Senator Hawley fled after those protesters he helped to rile up stormed the Capitol. All right. Well, and then they show him they show him. I'm sorry we don't have the video, but they show him. He looks like he might be running. not running, actually walking like he's late for a train. It's no big right. deal at all. Right. And are they are they trying to illegalize this movement, this this holding your hand up, rooting for somebody? That's not that's not hate speech. Luria is an idiot. She doesn't <laughs> she never read the Constitution. She doesn't understand the First Amendment. He could, he could be waving at his grocer, for all we know, but to, to impugn that he was somehow waving to the protesters without any evidence is the, such the height of stupidity. I, I can't believe that anybody would ever listen to her opinion or put her on national television. Well, it's the last time I'll ever do it, okay? I guess I did it, <laughs> but never again. Craig Shirley, the book, the latest book, by the way, April 1945, The Hinge of History, uh, I have not read this one yet. However, your Reagan books, oh, my goodness gracious, they are they are awesome. So Thank congratulations, you. and I look forward to this. Thank you, Craig, very much. Thank you, Craig. You, you bet. bet. You bet. Thank we'll you. be right back. breaks every minute every day you need the app the newsmax app find it free on your smartphone store then watch us anytime anywhere thanks so much have a great weekend and we'll see you monday